there is a little bit of a challenge here with both the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve facing potentially slower growth prospects, but no slowing down of these inflationary pressures. And so that could put us into a stagflationary environment. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Like it or not, we are living in interesting times with market volatility, inflation concerns, and geopolitical instability on the minds of every investor. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris McKaney and Chris Heeks, along with your host Mark Rays, discuss low volatility strategies, the energy and IT sectors, the impact of interest rate hikes on fixed income and currency expectations, as well as the new collaboration between BMO and Brookfield. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO ETF Weekly Insight Call. I'm your host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. We're joined by two of our portfolio managers, Chris McKaney and Chris Heeks, here to answer some questions today. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Good morning. Good morning, both. Let's get right into things. Lots to talk about again today. Markets continuing to be highly volatile. Of course, we've got inflation fears that keep coming at us, and as well, the geopolitical risk from the invasion of Ukraine dominating market headlines. Advisors have been calling in and asking about the BMO ETFs that are holding up in today's markets, and that would be the low volatility ETFs. Can you comment on the year-to-date performance on the low-vol strategies and perhaps discuss a couple of names in those portfolios? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. So I think it's a great time to talk about low-vol for sure. And you know, I'll probably start with the U.S. and then I'll, I'll move to Canada and talk a little bit about EFI as well. But starting with the U.S., as that's where you know this outperformance of low volatility has been most prevalent. If you look at ZLU, down 1% year-to-date versus the ZSP, our S&P 500 ETF is down 11%, so a 10% performance swing to low volatility. If you look at 2021, ZLU was up 21% versus 27% for ZSP, so it's been catching up on the return side. And actually in Q4, um, we really started to see the low vol start to outperform. I think given the geopolitics and some of those volatility factors that you mentioned, and I think that's added further accelerant and led to the significant outperformance uh, to start the year. I think on the podcast, we've always been saying, you know, it's it's nice to have a little bit of low vol in your portfolio. And, you know, if you look back a year, it was kind of hard, you know, when we were in the midst of economic reopening. It was, it was kind of hard to say that because, you know, other, other sectors were doing better. But, you know, you see the benefits in the last couple of months performance and the start to year that we had and, and stuff that's, quite frankly, very difficult to predict. Um, I think the all-out invasion of Ukraine came as quite a surprise to, to market participants. So it's shown its benefits. It's um, you know certainly doing what it's supposed to do. Um, I think exceeding expectations. 
If you look under the hood of the U.S. one, I'll start with a couple sector comments first, but utilities, which is overweight, has been a big driver. And, and when you see negative markets, you usually see utilities outperform and investors will kind of flock to more defensive stocks. So that's happened. Values benefited there. Um, also consumer staples, same story. And then on the other side, info tech or information technology, which ZLU has a pretty big overweight, a significant, or sorry, significant underweight. Obviously, and we've talked about it on the podcast, those technology companies, especially the really growthy ones, are coming under a lot of pressure with not just the market sell-off, but the, the fears of rising rates this year and the impact that that's having on, on, on growth stocks. So kind of winning on both ends there from, from the low-ball perspective in terms of those two key sector, active sector exposures. In terms of names in, in, in ZLU, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. And again, kind of cuts across the swath of utilities. You know, American Electric is a name that stands out. Kroger, bricks and mortar retail has been strong. You'll see that in Canada as well in a second. Um, we do have one energy stock in ZLU, and of course, it's performing quite well, Cotera Energy. And we have a, a gold name as well, which is also performing well, Newmont, you know, a large gold producer. And gold is, is making a move. In terms of the underweights in the portfolio, um, you know, it's going to be those top tech names. Meta, obviously, Facebook had a very somewhat disastrous forward guidance. So underweight, that was a significant driver. Amazon and NVIDIA, two more kind of growthy tech names underperforming. So ZLU's benefiting there all around. So again, just to summarize, really showing its benefit in times of volatility. That's when you want your low volatility exposures to step up and doing it in a big way in the U.S. with ZLU. Um, on the Canada side, uh, ZLB, you know, obviously one of our signature funds, you look at it year to date, it's up 1.3%. Uh, ZCN's up 0.4%, so almost a percent outperformance. Canada, incidentally, um, have to be, I'll have to take a look later, but definitely amongst developed markets have to be the best performing market um, by quite a by quite a distance when you're looking at US and EFI. But again, ZLB, um, even in a market like Canada's not been that volatile in some ways, ZLB is outperformed. What's driving that? The big one is Shopify. It's down 60%. So that was our largest index weight um, you know, a few months ago. Now it's down to the 10th largest index weight. So Shopify obviously caused quite a bit of lag you know, in a lot of equity portfolios in Canada as it was outperforming. But now we're seeing that come off significantly and it's down 65%. So that's a major gain in the portfolio. And then offsetting that, there's a little bit of lags. That'll be very underweight energy. It's also underweight materials. So that's dragging a bit on the portfolio and kind of netting out the impact of Shopify, but still between those two drivers, that's about neutral. Then other names you see working in the portfolio, telecoms are finally making that recovery we've been looking for so long, you know, kind of across the board, BCE, TELUS, but especially Rogers. I think investors seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with respect to their acquisition of Shaw. Um, so potentially seeing more good news to come on the telecoms, I think. Um, and staples, you know, those boring stocks that are hallmarks of low volatility. So um, all those ones, in the, and they're in the consumer staples uh, sector, uh, Empire, which is Sobeys, Metro, Loblaws, uh, Weston Bakeries, performing. Uh, pretty strong, holding up very nicely, you know, modest, 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 positive returns. So again, you know, that'll be 
showing its merit, lowball strategy in Canada, and I think it's you know a good place to be. And then a quick comment on EFI. You know, EFI stocks are have been suffering now; they're rallying pretty significantly this morning. But ZLI performing some about two percent better than EFI, so it's down about ten percent versus EFI, which is thirteen year to date. So outperformance there. So glad you brought it up, Mark. And um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's really great, you know, well, it's, it's a silver lining, but it, it's always great to see these, these products outperform um, and, and do what they're supposed to do. And they're, they're certainly adding value this year. Great. Thanks for that recap, Chris. Now, on the other hand, quality ETFs, and I can look at this through the lens of ZGQ, our global quality ETF, they've slipped a bit relative to the parent benchmark. So what is holding quality back in these markets, considering, you know, we have that idea out there that market leaders are generally able to weather downturns uh, a little better compared to, let's say, more speculative or emerging companies? Thanks. Yeah, so a couple of things I think going on with the ZGQ. One is, you know, the global exposure, like I said, EFI and US are are having having struggled, and that's uh, you know, certainly, you know, growth companies are a big part of that in the U.S., but, you know, in EFI, it's pretty broad. Um, broadly, those markets are just more impacted by the geopolitics. So the global exposure is is, is, a, is, a, is a drag. Um, from a sector point of view, um, energy and IT are, are the big drags. So energy, I think you see, you know, in ZGQ is, is a underweight to energy. And the reason why you see that high variability of earnings um, as well, in some energy companies, you see higher levels of debt in some cases. So it discourages an investment in that sector. But as we all know, energy is is doing very well. So that's causing a little bit of a lag. Um, IT, to your point, I think we skew more to, um, you know, we definitely skew more to the more financially sound uh, as opposed to the higher growth speculative companies that you mentioned. But there's still a little bit of tilt in that direction. So there's a little bit of a lag to IT, and there is an overweight to that sector. So that's that's causing a little bit of a lag as well. GQ held Meta as well, so that that was that was a uh, you know a name that impacted it in the short term. But you know, re- regardless, I think you know a couple things. You know, I think we remain believers in quality over the long term, and we've we've seen the benefits, whether it's through our live performance with ZGQ or ZUQ. Um, also in partnership with MSCI and looking at the back test history and being comforted by how it performs through market cycles. Pretty comfortable with that. You know, I don't think it, it wavers our confidence in the long term by any means. And and the second thing I'd kind of just add on to that as a general comment is, you know, you can see the benefits of diversifying your factor exposures, you know. So we have this U.S. low volatility outperforming by 10%. Let's say you had a low vol and quality mix um, or a dividend and quality mix, you know, mixing, mixing have, uh, factors and that exposures, you know, it just can allow investors to build better portfolios and also diversify them in the case of different kind of market scenarios, uh, playing out. So that's just another general comment, but, um, yeah, a little bit of a tough kind of call it six months for quality, but definitely, definitely believe in that strategy for long-term investors that it's, you know, it's a solid buy and hold. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Uh, I do like that we're able to speak to both sides of the coin. In other words, low ball with outperformance and then really identify what's going on with quality on underperformance so advisors can best understand how to use these factor ETFs.
The price of oil is rising, and the BMO Equal Weight Oil and Gas Index ETF ticker ZEO is uniquely positioned to benefit from structural tailwinds. ZEO tracks large Canadian producers of oil and gas, offering pure play exposure with an equal weight structure that mitigates company-specific risks. To learn more about this convenient and efficient growth solution, visit BMOETFs.ca and search ticker ZEO. Now let's switch gears and go to fixed income. We saw the Bank of Canada come in with a 25 basis point overnight rate increase last week. However, with the deepening situation in Ukraine, uh, are we seeing a shift in expectations for central banks now as we look forward to the rest of the year? Advisors are asking what to expect from ZAG, our aggregate bond ETF, as we look forward. Thanks. Sure, Mark, and um, you know it certainly is an interesting time uh, in the fixed income markets as we've now officially entered uh, the next rising rate regime, as you mentioned with the Bank of Canada, uh, increasing over overnight rates by 25 basis points last week. You know, I think what we saw early in 2022, you know, let's call it pre, um, you know, invasion into Ukraine. So the first couple of months, let's call it, um, we really saw a, a strong increase in the market's expectations for how much uh, interest rates would be moving up in the short term. Um, Both um, the Fed and the Bank of Canada were expected by the market, at least, um, to potentially increase interest rates by 50 basis points um, in their March, in their respective March meetings. Um, And so, you know, that's something that doesn't happen very often, particularly in developed markets and would indicate to the market that the central banks are are really behind the curve um, in in moving the interest rates up. And so it was it was pretty surprising to see that pricing in the market to begin with. Um, And essentially what happened um, with uh, the Russian incursion into Ukraine, a little bit of a risk off environment, interest rates start moving back down. And that 50 basis point expectation really was just taken off the table and it was repriced back down to a a more standard 25 basis point uh, increase. And and that's what we did see in Canada. And, um, you know, certain members of the U.S. Federal Reserve um, have already have all but, you know, indicated they will be raising uh, 25 basis points as well at their March meeting. So uh, a bit more standard uh, interest rate increase. And so, again, that that. Ex, bit more extreme uh, positioning by the market was was really taken off uh, during that 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 Russian incursion um, and and kind of reset uh, expectations in the market. Now going forward, there hasn't really been much change uh, in further rate increase expectations. In fact, if you look today um, at that sort of forward market pricing. Um, investors are still expecting the Bank of Canada to raise uh, interest rates by another another six times or another 150 basis points by the end of uh, 2022, in addition to the 25 basis points we've already seen. Um, and in the U.S., the expectations uh, are for six or more. So kind of six, six and a half um, is, is what we're seeing right now in terms of rate increase expectations uh, in the U.S. And that would include um, the upcoming uh, meeting where, where, again, it's expected to be approximately 25 basis points uh, of an increase there. So 
the market really hasn't slowed down the expectations of interest rates moving up. They just took away a little bit of that extreme positioning, um, you know, that, that we saw earlier in the year in January and February. And so, you know, fixed income markets in general have sold off because of that. Now, what I would say is that going forward, um, as we take a look at what might happen over the rest of 2022 and, and with respect to uh, the situation in Ukraine, is that if this situation is prolonged for an extended period of time, what that could do is potentially reduce um, overall GDP growth expectations. Um, obviously, there's been a huge amount of sanctions placed on Russia, and what those knock-on effects um, have for the rest of the global economy are still unclear. We're not sure how much um, you know, these punitive measures we've taken against Russia are really going to uh, affect the rest of the world. You know, Russia, being about the 12th largest economy in the world, has essentially been unplugged from the, from the rest of that global economy. And so there's certain to be some sort of knock-on effects we're just not quite sure what those are yet. And of course, what's happening in the oil markets and the resource markets and you know, other uh, resources as well, other than oil and gas and, and commodities, um, you know, that could also have uh, uh, an impact on consumers, on consumer spending as you know, inflation continues to be very, very high. Now, that's where the conundrum is with central banks, is this situation has actually caused inflation um, if anything, to go up further or to be a bit more sustained. And that's why interest rates were being in, increased in the first place. So, um, you know, there is a little bit of a challenge here with, with both the, the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve facing potentially slower growth prospects, um, but no slowing down of these inflationary pressures. And so that um, could put us into a stagflationary environment. Um, and the odds of that certainly have increased with this war in Ukraine. But what I would say, again, going forward is outside of that, uh, with the number of rate hikes that are still continued to be to be priced into the market, again, six more in Canada, a total of six in the U.S., um, you know, I, I think certainly the, the first few that we're going to see in the first half of 2022, um, uh, certainly we will see a few rate hikes come through. I think investors might forget um, the extreme easiness of monetary policy that we still have, you know, interest rates still essentially near zero um, with an economy that is growing fairly strongly, despite all the headwinds that we're talking about here. Um, and so there does need to be a certain level of interest rate increases coming into the market. And you can expect um, for the first half of the year for that to happen. Um, but what may happen is a, a bit of a pause kind of mid year or after a few of these rate hikes have, have happened to see if that works its way through the market, uh, through the economy, and to see if there is any effect from these rising interest rates. Um, and, and, and again, reassessing the geopolitical situation, whatever might be happening at that time as well. So I think the, the risk is um, fewer interest rate increases in the back half of the year. Um, now, that doesn't mean they won't happen. It just means they might happen in 2023 or they're pushed out a little bit further. So for investors that are thinking about, again, the number of rate hikes that are priced into the market, you know, six or seven, um, if you think there's any downside risk to that, you know, fixed income could see a bid because of that, of course, um, with, with Zag being the, the beneficiary there. But I think more importantly than playing those interest rate expectations is just what we saw out of fixed income in those couple of weeks over the last two weeks or so um, in the risk off sort of environment, we saw a pretty strong rally out of fixed income assets. Um, and so again, this goes back to what 
the, the primary role of fixed income in a balanced portfolio or in a diversified portfolio is to offset that equity risk. Um, and so, you know, if we do see further bumps along the road, if this invasion spreads and, um, you know, there's a further risk off sentiment, fixed income will continue to benefit from that and, and, and be able to balance out that equity risk in portfolios. So we think, you know, the role of, of fixed income and ZAG as that core component of that, of that fixed income allocation um, still serves the purpose. Um, and probably more than ever, you know, with, with geopolitical risks rising um, and, and further risks out there that we may not be aware of, uh, you know, maintaining that allocation to fixed income, we think makes a lot of sense. Uh, again, keeping that uh, balance to equity risk in check. Right. Thanks for that update, Chris. And I think you, you hit it quite nicely there. You really do need that fixed income equity risk offset, and that's that's the primary purpose. And you and you saw that uh, with the Ukraine invasion and the immediate pop in the returns from from ZAG and other fixed income ETFs. Now let's talk about a couple of new mandates uh, that we brought out just last week. Uh, this certainly tying into concerns that advisors may have around inflation, which of course is now over 5% in Canada, uh, looking for alternative mandates, uh, looking for types of strategies uh, that act a little differently than equity and fixed income. So we launched two new mandates with Brookfield Public Securities, the BMO Brookfield Global Renewables Infrastructure, which is ticker GRNI, and the BMO Brookfield Global Real Estate ETF, which is ticker TOWR. We're pretty excited to bring these out. Uh, of course, bringing a well-known brand and alternatives and investment management into the ETF industry. Both of these being high conviction, active portfolios and our unique mandates in the Canadian market. Now, as advisors are, are looking for ETFs to help manage rising inflation, how do listed real estate and infrastructure assist with portfolio construction. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. I'll, you know, I'll start by saying I think we've, uh, you know, we've been fans of infrastructure for quite a while. I'll just start with talk about ZGI for a quick second. We've got over 10 years of track record on that ETF, averaging 11% a year. And I think we mentioned that a few months ago. Um, with the power of compounding, that 10-year investment would have been up 166%. Um, and, and the reason we like infrastructure Thinking about it from the standpoint of a satellite investment, you know, it tends not to be a core investment, but can be a great satellite because um, it has that lower correlation to broad equities. And anytime you hear that word lower correlation, that means better diversification. So there's a diversification benefit from having a sleeve in your equity portfolio. As you mentioned, the, the historically it's hedged against inflation and rising rates, has that um, somewhat real asset type quality to it. You know, some of the businesses as well are inflation protected in, in the sense that some utilities have defined profit streams um, so they, they can raise prices as, as, you know, input costs accelerate. So tends to have that, uh, tends to have that hedge to inflation. And you know, I think these are some, like you said, a, a bit of a hallmark of alternatives. And, you know, as advisors are seeking new ways to construct portfolios, or at least they're making adjustments to the traditional 60-40. Um, I think we've always liked infrastructure as that kind of a completion, um, you know, satellite piece in portfolios. 
Um, in terms of these strategies, you know, I think the partnership speaks for itself. Brookfield Field, as you mentioned, is one of the top names in uh, alternatives and infrastructure. Um, incidentally, they are also behind the, um, the intellectual property, the IP of our ZGI index, which is a Brookfield index uh, calculated by S&P. Um, looking at these new, new, new funds, um, I think they're very unique tools. Uh, the GRNI, um, as you say, infrastructure, but focusing on renewable infrastructure. And we've talked about renewables um, on the podcast as a mega trend, something that is evolving, you know, across really, you know, globally, you know, and it's playing out over decades. One thing you've seen with this recent geopolitical um you know, incident with, with Russia and Ukraine as the renewable stocks are, are getting a win behind them, so to speak, no pun intended. Um, but uh, because, you know, Germany, for example, Germany said they wanted to be fully renewable by 2050. Well, guess what? They rely on Russian um, commodities for heating, particularly gas. Now they want to move that up to 2035. So you're seeing some, a lot of countries and are looking to move, move up that renewable timeline it's provided, you know, a um, like I said, a wind behind these renewable companies. So it's a it's a mega trend that I think, you know, you, you recognize as an investor. There could be a little vol- vol- there's there could be volatility with renewables, but as a mega trend and something that's unfolding over the coming years and uh, you know even decades, couple decades, um, we could be pretty uh, pretty convinced this is a mega trend that's that's going to roll out. So I think that's a very interesting one that focuses on renewable, and, you know, with a great partner. And then in terms of the tower, the TOWR uh, ETF real estate tech fund. So again, real estate has that benefit of diversification. You know, it's not a traditional equity, has that lower correlation, has that hedge to inflation. But the, the, the tweak here is on tech. And again, um, you know, tech is, you know, you know, NASDAQ, for example, is having obviously increased volatility, but it, again, it's a mega trend. And so having exposure to uh, real estate companies in the tech sector, I think, is something that benefits it over the long period of time. Um, cell towers are a portion of this portfolio, obviously, with the ticker, but also data center REITs. And, um, and I think we're going to see the need for a lot of these tech-focused real estate exposures, um, you know, just going forward. So a couple uh, big megatrend-focused renewable and real estate funds. I think they're, they're very unique tools. And, um, you know, can be compelling and very interesting satellite bolt-ons to portfolios as, you know, as we seek to improve on the 60-40, you know, I think we can look at definitely infrastructure being having its own sleeve and these funds can fit into that infrastructure sleeve quite well. Great. Thanks for that intro, Chris. Yeah, certainly as advisors, think about alternatives, infrastructure and real estate here using listed securities. Uh, great options to look at adding to the portfolios. Introducing the BMO Brookfield Global Renewables Infrastructure and BMO Brookfield Global Real Estate Tech ETF Series, tickers GRNI and TOWR. In a time of market volatility, rising prices, and low yields, investors are looking for solutions to boost returns while diversifying away from traditional assets. Now, BMO and Brookfield have collaborated to bring you two new investment strategies that combine the benefits of ETFs with the advantages of alternative investments. To learn more about these innovations, visit bmoetfs.ca and search tickers GRNI and TOWR.
I want to switch gears to currency, as we've certainly seen, despite the strength in oil of late, the Canadian dollar has not necessarily been rising relative to the U.S. dollar, as you might have expected uh, as part of that. So we know that advisors are using hedged and unhedged ETFs to reposition currency exposure across the portfolios, but we've been getting the question in, uh, what is causing this decoupling and do you expect it to persist? Thanks. Sure. And I think there's really two things happening here. So, you know, first off, you know, typically can the Canadian dollar does get a boost uh, from higher oil prices, from higher energy prices and, and higher uh, commodity prices in general, as, as we tend to export these things to the other parts of the world. And so typically you do see that correlation to the oil price with the, with the Canadian dollar currency. Um, but what's happening on the other side of the coin as well is that U.S. dollar is sort of a safe haven type asset, right? So in risk-off environments, um, investors do flood to the U.S. dollar. So you see the U.S. dollar also being bid up, um, you know, versus other, other currencies globally. So you have this almost netting out effect of uh, strong tailwinds for the Canadian dollar, but also strong tailwinds for the U.S. dollar. There's a couple other things going on that probably are a little bit more technical. And when you take a look at um, the sort of curve of oil futures, um, it might become a little bit more apparent. But, you know, typically um, we see the front month oil contract uh, trading very much in line with uh, future oil prices as well. And uh, just as a reminder here, oil trades not necessarily in a physical market, but in a futures market where investors buy oil for delivery at a certain date. And essentially, you know, each month there's a, an expiry of a future. And so investors can take delivery of oil at some future date. And if we remember back to April of 2020, uh, when there were lockdowns happening, this caused the price of uh, the front month oil futures contract to famously go negative. Um, and investors actually had to pay people money to, to take the oil because no one wanted it at the time and there was no place to store it. So there can be dislocations in the front month uh, futures contract for oil relative to what you might see one year out or two years out. And that's really what we're seeing now as well. So, um, you know, the front month one month ago was trading at $90. All of a sudden we're at 120 or 125 or, or, or wherever it is currently. But those future, those longer term future contracts, while they moved up as well, have not moved up to the same degree. And so that's typically where you do see the Canadian dollar correlation is to the longer term future contracts. And that makes sense because, you know, if, if there was any increase in production, it's going to take time to, um, you know, ramp up that, that production and get that out to, to the economy. And so, um, you know, any incremental oil that, that Canada can pump, so to speak, is going to take, you know, 12 to 18 months just to even make it to the market. Um, and so, you know, typically the Canadian dollar is more correlated to those longer term futures contracts. It's just that they usually trade in line with the front month. And now what we're seeing is this dislocation where near term oil is much more valuable than oil for delivery in a year or two. Um, so again, it's just one of those things that investors have to remember when they're looking at futures prices and some of the idiosyncrasies that can happen uh, with that market structure. Um, and then the other thing as well is if you take a look at some other commodity-related currencies like, like the Australian dollar, for example, um, that, that typically trades with, uh, with commodity prices as well, that's, that's done much better than the Canadian dollar 
um, over the last couple of weeks or so. Um, but part of that, again, goes back to the mix of exports from that country. So, you know, in Canada, um, oil exports are about 18, 19% 19 of exports and then other commodities um, make up another 14. So that's about one third of Canadian exports are commodity related. Um, whereas in Australia, it's more like 70%. So they're much more concentrated in the commodity uh, markets than Canada is. You know, we have things like autos and auto parts uh, um, and, and, and other things to export as well. So, um, you know, while it is impacting and, and benefiting the Canadian dollar, it's, it's a bit more muted than we might see on other currencies as well. So it's one of those, those things where, um, again, the, the, the thesis is there. There are reasons why the Canadian dollar should increase, but because of, uh, again, the risk-off sentiment boosting that U.S. dollar, um, you're just not seeing it flow through the degree to which you, 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 you might expect. And so we would think, you know, going forward over the longer term, you know, the next year or so, if you see some of this risk-off sentiment come, uh, leave the markets, you could see that U.S. dollar bid. You could see that start starting to weaken, whereas these commodity prices we think will be sustained at high levels for a period of time. You know, whether oil stays at $120 or goes down to $100, that's still bullish for Canadian dollars. Um, and so we think that the strength of the Canadian dollar should continue through uh, through 2022. And again, with that risk-off sentiment, hopefully um, moving to the sidelines a little bit, uh, we'll see that follow through in the, uh, in the exchange rate. All right, thanks for that, Chris. Last question for this week, and we'll, we'll try to keep this one quick, seeing as we're, we're rolling along here. Advisors have been asking about the performance on ZPay and ZPay.app, our premium yield ETF. Can you comment on the components of this ETF and provide your outlook as advisors, of course, are looking for consistent returns out of this ticker? Thanks. Sure. And, and as you say, I'll, I'll try to be a, a little brief here. I, I know we're starting to run a little long on time, but... Um, you know, essentially, ZPay, just to recap um, how that portfolio operates, um, it tends to be, you know, a, a lower um, investment in direct equities, uh, and then the majority of the portfolio um, holds cash or T-bills and then sells put options against those same equities in order to generate income. So it's an income-first sort of strategy with growth as a secondary um, objective. And so, you know, going into the market sell-off we've seen here in 2022, um, you know, the fund was only about 35% invested or 36% invested in direct equities. And so as the market has sold off, um, you know, ZPay has sold off a little bit as well, but not to the same degree. Um, at the same time, um, those put options that we sell, you know, some of those go into the money, they become exercised, and then the fund ends up buying a little bit more stock. And so that's what we've seen through this sell-off is that, that equity weight, you know, I mentioned that 35, 36% to start the year has now drifted up to, you know, kind of the low 40s, 42, 43, 44%, somewhere in that range. And that's exactly how the structure of the fund is designed to work. Um, it's designed to, again, generate income as that primary um, objective, but then as markets sell off, um, you know, those put options go to work and then we buy these equities at, at lower prices than, than where they were to start the period. Um, you know, one other thing I'll, I'll probably mention here, Chris talked a little bit earlier about um, what we've seen in sort of that quality factor, um, you know, coming off a little bit more than the broad market in this sell-off. And that's the type of stock that ZPay is built on. We want quality equities in this portfolio. 
Um, and we only want to sell puts against companies that we would otherwise want to own. So sound business models, sound companies, quality oriented stocks. And so again, the, the companies that this fund is built on have actually sold off quite a bit more um, than the broad market. If you look at the S&P down approximately somewhere in the range of 12% um, so far in 2022, um, those quality oriented U.S. equities are down more like 16, 17%. So, you know, not as much as the NASDAQ, that's a bit more growthy, um, but somewhere in between the S&P and NASDAQ in terms of that, uh, that total return. So, um, again, the type of equities that, that ZPay likes to invest in have sold off a little bit. And we think part of that also is just that they've done so well um, you know, when investors need to take risk off the table, they, they sometimes like to sell what, what they've made the money on, right? What they've made the most, most money on. So we've seen some of those stocks come down maybe a little bit more than, than they should have. Um, but again, you know, the strategy of this fund buys those stocks at the press prices or at lower prices than, than where they were trading just by, uh, by how the fund is designed. So we've seen this happen before in March and April of 2020, where uh, the market sells off. Uh, the equity weight kind of builds up in this portfolio. And then as markets rebound, um, you know, the, the upside is, is, is higher than what the downside was. And so that's the hope here as well. And you know, hopefully we do see some upside later in 2022 in the, in the equity markets. But um, so far, we see this fund uh, throughout this year uh, performing as expected, as designed. Great. Thanks for that update as well, Chris. With that, I think that's all we have time for today. So I want to thank everyone for listening in. We really appreciate your time. Of course, I want to thank uh, Chris and Chris. Lots of good uh, content here. Lots of good information that you've shared. So really appreciate those insights. And with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time for joining us and have a great day. Thanks. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris McKinney, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Low Volatility U.S. Equity ETF, ticker ZLU, which has outperformed in a period of uncertainty and geopolitical instability. And our experts also discussed the BMO Global Infrastructure Index ETF, ticker ZGI, which can be a good diversification option due to its lower correlation with broad equities. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.